The truth is you're not going to find too many folks like Taylor Milne out there, be that on or off the track. Taylor, probably best known for his trip to the Beijing Olympics as a 1500 meter runner in one of the toughest Canadian fields in recent memory, or for some memorable runs as a steepler in the past few years, you'd be very hard pressed to find another runner so passionate about the sport and more willing to tell you exactly how he thinks it is. If all goes well, Taylor is setting up to run Rio this year, and with a few solid results in this indoor season, things are looking really, really good. Don't go anywhere. This week it's all Taylor Milne on the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. Uh, some really great results for you in the in the past couple of weeks with the win and the 401 mile at the New Balance Games, uh, and a win and a 7.52 at Boston Terrier in the 3,000. Uh, the 3,000, if I'm not mistaken, is a PB for you, both indoors or outdoors. Uh, at this point in the season, what means more to you, those wins or the times that go along with them? Uh, for me right now, it is it is the wins. Um, this year, obviously, is different for a couple reasons. One is the Olympics, but... Uh, the way it's set up now, um, you can use times from the previous year. So without exaggerating, I'd say this is probably the first time in eight years, at least, that I haven't been looking towards outdoors and being like, I got to get a time. I mean, the time's off the board now. I've got that. So that just lets me relax. And uh, I'm just working on some race tactics. Um in uh in uh, new york i wanted to i wanted to see where the wheels were at so i was willing to leave it to 200 to go um because that that was my goal for the day was just try to beat people off the back end um and you know i I felt the wheels were there but until you actually get in race situation and 1400 meters in you don't know so i was i was i got excited with that win i just because i did exactly what i wanted and I, i closed in a 27 and I had another gear left it if I needed. So that one, I was just very happy. It was exactly where I wanted to be. Got the win. Um, didn't look at the time till after. And I was like, okay, 401. And then I looked at the splits and we were, I think, 304 at 1200. So we weren't, we weren't moving that fast. But it was just, it was great that I was able to react. And then um, going into Boston, I wanted it to be a quick time. But uh, unlike in the past where I really... If I see a slow first K, I'll get up there and just start grinding it out. Um, I wanted a fast time, but I wasn't willing to do anything about it. <laughs> so I was just kind of uh, sitting around, and I saw the splits, and there's nothing to worry about. I was trying not to pay too much attention, but I knew we were around eight-minute pace. And uh, because of the week before, I knew I'd have wheels at the end. So I, I, I just waited a, um, a bit longer than I usually do. And then uh, I didn't want to wait till last 200 um mostly university kids in the race. Um, mm. So I, I'm 34. I didn't want to sit around on the university kids the whole time. Um, so with about 600 to go, I figured I'd get up and start getting the pace going. And uh, just one by one, I kind of broke the guys off and was able to hold on. And then, again, I looked at the time, and I didn't expect it to be that quick because we were only about 519 through 2K. So I think my last K was something like 233. And... Uh, like you said, it was a PB, and I think my previous PB, I was on about 747 pace till about 500 to go, so I went the exact opposite way. Um, so to close like that and feel the way I did, it, it's just, it was great. Um, time's nice to get a little PB, but uh, I think in two weeks' time, I'm going to head out, head out to Seattle and uh, 
I might be a little more conscious of time out there, but again, just practice my racing and, uh, yeah, just race well. And, uh, that'll set up the heats at worlds. Just, just practice strategy and stuff. Um, hopefully set up the heats to get into the final and then all, all bets are off once you're in the final, you know? So, you know, I've, I've been talking to, uh, to some athletes definitely for sure who are holding back on their indoor season or completely skipping it all together, uh, in preparation for the Olympics. I know you kind of touched on this, but you know, what is the overall philosophy, uh, and maybe some goals on the indoor season for you this year? Yeah. Um, I did touch on it. Just touch, um, just race better. Um, throw time out the window. Um, I'll do three races. So I've done two. I'll do one more. Um, kept my training volume high, um, intensity's high, training volume's high. So I'm not really sacrificing the uh, greater goal of the outdoor season in order to hit fast times. Um, times are just kind of coming in the midst of me training. So um, I'm not worried about it jeopardizing the outdoor season because I really haven't done anything differently. Um, if I wasn't doing these races, I'd be doing the exact same training right now. So for me, it's just preparing um, for outdoors, um, practicing some racing techniques, um, going into races a bit, bit fatigued. Um, and if I can, uh, nail these times and win these races while I'm a little fatigued, it's just going to feel that much better come outdoors when I'm prepared and sharp. Um, yeah, I think it just sets me up great for outdoors. Um, if I can do it while I'm tired, um, it should be pretty nasty when I'm nice and rested and ready to go. So I, you know, I, I got to ask because some of these tracks that you've raced on so far, uh, these indoor tracks, they're, they're kind of legendary in their own, own way. I mean, New Balance was at, uh, Armory, I believe. And you know, that, that Boston track is notorious for, I guess, fast indoor times. What, what's your favorite indoor track to run on? Uh, between the two, I'd actually have to say Boston, I think is the quicker surface. If I had to just off the way it feels, um, it is turning the whole time. You just kind of get lost. And like, I find myself indoors counting laps a lot, mm-hmm. but, uh, at Boston, you're just kind of always turning and there's not really like any markers of like, I'm sure there are, but I couldn't tell like when there was 150 to go or anything. Cause I'm like on a corner or the straightaway is really short. Um, yeah, I just feel like that one just keeps you moving. Well, um, and even when you're going around the corners, they're so wide, you don't feel like you're cornering. So, I, I think that surface is, is a really, really good one. Um, and, of course, the Armory is cool. It's great atmosphere in there, and, and it is a fast track. But uh, if I was to give a nod to one of them, I think BU might be a bit quicker surface. Mm-hmm. So last year in London, you, you put down a blazing uh, eight, 816.7 uh, in the steeple. I'm pretty sure people know that you're a steeplechaser. Uh, that was later called back. You know, it was a time that probably would have that no, that definitely would have made you the best in Canada last year. Mentally, what has that race done for you, and uh, and your confidence in the event? Well, yeah, four years ago, uh, or I guess it's three and a half, whatever. Um, after missing London, I I knew I, I I wasn't done in the sport. Like I I had a great year. I just didn't hit an Olympic time. I just didn't get that right race. So I wasn't ready to walk away uh, with my head down. But I did think I needed a little change. Um, and I watched the event, and I, I was like, I used to be a good athlete. Like, I played all the sports in high school and stuff. And 
I always thought the 3K would be my best event if it was an actual event. So you put the two together, and I'm like, I'll just learn how to hurdle and do it. So um, I went into my uh, coach's office, Dave, and we talked about it. I thought he was going to shut down the idea, but he was actually keen on it. And uh, I wanted to make the switch so I could actually be like a player on the world stage. Like I had made an Olympics in 08, but I wanted to go in 2016 and get up in the finals and like actually be high end. And I thought I uh, had a good opportunity to do that in the steeple. So we made the switch and, uh, we kind of had a four year plan. Um, this year being the fourth year, um, first year was okay. I, I got the time down. I had some bumps, um, fell a couple times pretty hard on the last water, water barrier. Um, um, and nationals I fell. I mean, I had a good shot to make worlds in my first year, but I fell. Um, so that was a bit disappointing, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, um, if I can get to that level in one year, the next year, let's go a bit higher. I got a bit faster next year, but I still didn't quite push through. I got about halfway through the season and then didn't progress any further, and I sucked at Commonwealth. Um, so I was a bit disappointed with my second season. The first year, I gave myself a little a little slack because it was my first year, and then my second year... I felt like I was ready to go faster and do a bit better at Commonwealth, and I didn't. So I was disappointed with that year. Um, and then last year, indoors, I just made a really conscious effort to do a lot of, a lot of hurdle work, a lot of workouts with hurdles, um, just thrash myself. And it showed in my results. I ran two miles last year indoors, and I ran 402. And that was like an all-out effort. I just That's what I had because I was just working so hard in practice. Uh, and I dropped out of a 3K because I was just wrecked. Um, so we made a conscious effort to just really try to push through the new territory. And uh, it started coming out in outdoors. Like I started at Stanford with an 825 and then ran a couple more 825s and then went over to Europe. And I knew I was ready to pop one. And um, six days before London, I ran an 819. And then so that was getting into that area where you want to be. I think and that's kind of like a world final time. And... So London, I, I wasn't really worried about times. I was like, I'll just go out and key off the Kenyans and try to get faster, but we'll see what happens. And I came across and saw an 816, and um, I was very happy. I, I I felt that that had kind of moved me up into where not only could I make a final, I kind of thought I should make the final um, if I could repeat that performance. Um, mm. Again, it was two hours later until I found out that I got disqualified, but uh, I was in a hotel room with Chris Winters, and he looked at his phone, and he, I thought somebody had died the way he, he's like, oh, man, and I asked him what was wrong, and he said, you got disqualified, and then I was like, oh, that sucks, but at the same time, I got to see, I got to see the time on the board, and I got to let that sink in, and I, I knew what I was capable of running, so, yeah, if you look on the record books or whatever, there isn't an 816 up there yet, but I know I'm at least capable of that. And it kind of got me sniffing. And I know the Canadian record's 811. And I, I think it just made it a more believable thing. You know, you always think you can, but until you put it down on paper, it's it's hard to tell everybody you can. Um, so it was good. Yeah. Uh, looking at the steeple rankings from last year, second through fifth were all held by Speed River guys, or at least people who train in Guelph, uh, including yourself. How is it that your club, uh, the River, has so much depth in that event? 
So I, won't, I don't want to downplay our club because I, I, I do think it's great for our club. I think the steeplechase in general um, lacks depth, and I think that's true across the world. Um, so in an event like that, um, we saw Alex leading the way for us and his good buddy Chris Winter since they were like 16. Uh, they kind of led the way, and then I made the switch over just because I thought I would have a good shot to do well at it. And then Chris Del Hante's up and coming and he gets to train with a couple 820 guys and he's putting in the work daily. So it just kind of happens, right? We have a bunch of people in our club and two of them have been steepling since they were 16, uh, maybe in Chris Del Hante too, uh, just 10 years later or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of perfect storm. We got the resources for it. We got the athletes, um, I'm kind of the wild card in there because I just switched late. Um, but uh, even if I wasn't in there, we'd have three, three, three instead of four. And then we have Jacob Smith that's graduated from High Point. He had some growing pains his first year, but uh, he's a very capable steepler. I think he's 844 in university. So he's a year into our program now. So you could, I mean, it might be five of us next year. So, um, Dave learned how to coach it. Um, Alex is a great technical uh, hurdler and steepler, so he's kind of helped uh, help us close the gap on that stuff. Um, Rob Watson used to be here. He, he was a good steepler too. So Dave's kind of learned through Rob and Alex, who are two very different athletes, kind of how to best coach the steeplechase. Um, yeah, so I think... I think it's just kind of how our club's set up. And it just, it's a little bit of luck, a little bit of fate, you know? You know, I've heard you describe your coach, uh, Dave Scott Thomas, who, you know, you just mentioned as being one of the best developmental coaches out there. Uh, you know, what qualifies him as such, in your opinion? Uh, if we're talking developmental, I think it just, numbers kind of speak for themselves. Um, his first two Olympians, myself and Eric Gillis, um, we did all right. Like none of us had, not, neither of us had a great, um, high school careers. Like, um, and then university, we did well, I guess Eric won a CIS title. Um, but nothing that really told you he was going to the Olympics. Um, and, uh, me and Eric came in the same year and I just needed a little guidance and I needed some more miles and, uh, Dave just knew what I needed to get to that next level. Um, same with Eric. Um, like I said, we're, we're training with the university kids. There's always 20 to 30 people out there. We know what we're going to get at practice. Um, um, I think he's just developed the sheer amount of people he's had on national teams. Um, and people might think we get the best recruits to our university and stuff, but We've sent we've sent some not so hot recruits that have developed and really just blossom into great athletes. And I mean, you can say lucky with one or two, but there's just been a number number of Speed River athletes that have come and just thrived in Guelph. So I I don't know exactly uh, how to put my finger on it. I know a lot of coaches out there would like to know the secret. Um, it's a lot of hard work, and he's the he's the the spearhead behind that he's he's telling us what to do and we're going out there and doing it and then there's a lot of people around us 
with similar goals. So we just kind of push each other and he's just, he's set up that culture here and he's set up that system and we all work together in the fall and sometimes in track we'll go our separate ways and do our different workouts, but it always comes back to once every couple of weeks we'll all kind of group up and we'll be out on, um, out on the trails and it'll be me and Reed Colsett and then Anthony Roman who might even be out there. So all, all different levels and just kind of um, working together and it just really helps people grow and get to that next level. Okay, so in the steeple right now, uh, the number one guy, I guess you could say, is Matt Hughes. Uh, he's the current Canadian record holder. Uh, you know, has he has a bunch of NCAA titles, uh, the national record. Uh, he trains with one of the best steeplers on this side of the Atlantic. You know, in your opinion, does that kind of elevate the competition? Um, you know, does it elevate your competitive drive having a guy like that to run against? Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't argue with any of that. He is the best right now, you know. I, I'd love to go out there and get him. Um, I've yet to beat him in a steeplechase. Uh, I came close once this summer, but uh, so far he's owned me. So, um, yeah, when I made the switch to the steeple, Alex was our quickest guy in Canada, quickest there has been for a while. Um, so I saw that 820 barrier kind of as a, something, you know, you get down there and then um, – you're one of the best in Canada, if not the best. Um, and the year I decided to take up the steeple, Matt Hughes decided to uh, get really, really good. I mean, he was good. He was an NCAA champion, so you can't take that away from him. But 8-11, 6 in the world, different level, and he just changed uh, changed the game in Canada. Um, so my first year after kind of like wondering what I thought about the steeple, I was like, yeah, I like it, but that I was sitting at home because I, I didn't make worlds and I'm watching Matt Hughes on TV and he throws down at 8-11. And I was just like, oh, uh, I got more work to do than I thought. So uh, he definitely fired me up. And uh, this year when I ran that 8-16, the first thing I thought about was, okay, 8-11, the next goal. Um, and like you said, he's out with Schumacher now. And uh, I think I think his old coach win is just an excellent, excellent post-collegiate coach I think as a coach I think three at least three of the current distance records in Canada are held by someone he coached Mm. Um, so he knows what he's doing so um, Matt's left him and went to Schumacher's group um, who obviously also knows what he's doing Evan Yeager Dan Hewling was fifth in the world so that group might push him to next level um so I'm looking, I want to break that 811 Canadian record, but I might have to go even faster because I'm, I'm guessing Matt's gearing up to do the same this year. So um, I hope I can get up there with him and even maybe we can push each other. Um, and uh, I'd like to I'd like to get that Canadian title, though, this year. I've got my doors blown off the last two years in the six in the last 600 meters of each race so i think i think my i think my hurdling is at a better place and i think i can really sprint over the hurdles now so i'm excited i'm excited it's a while away but uh i'm uh, i'm excited to race them at nationals and maybe before that at some point going back a few years now uh 2008 saw you run in the beijing olympics in the 1500 you know how how does that experience rank in terms of you know all the races and meets that you've been a part of in your career so far? Yeah, so 
to be honest, the race itself in Beijing was probably not in my top five. I know it's, I enjoyed walking out onto the track. I enjoyed the couple weeks leading up to it, but in the race itself, I was just, it's kind of my, my life goal to get there. And then once I was there, I just didn't know what to do with myself. Um, I thought making it, I'd be able to recalibrate and like get a new goal, but I was just like, I just wanted to get out there and get it over with. So, um, not mad at myself because I was young and I didn't didn't have a lot of experience, but I wish I would have soaked it in a bit better and just like really just got up near the front and at least tried to do a bit more. I just kind of sat at the back and then they kicked and then I tried to kick and I I didn't like embarrass myself, but I didn't have a great race. I never really put myself in there, so that's left me hungry. It's one of the reasons I didn't walk away in 2012 because I want to go back and I just want to have that Canadian singlet on and cross the line and. I mean, whatever the result may be, I want to know that I just hung it out there. So for a race itself, uh, I didn't love it, um, but it was a fun, fun month leading up to it. Um, it just happened so quickly. I heard there was a good race out in Harry Jerome, and I had just ran a 3:39, and I knew I could go fast, but I didn't know how much faster. So I figured I'd go race Harry Jerome, and I didn't look at a single split. I just knew if I was up near the front, it'd be a good time, and I hit the Olympic standard, and then two weeks later, I was at Nationals, and I won Nationals, and I was going to the Olympics, and it was just, it was a little surreal at the time. It was just happening, and um, it was kind of, it went from nobody really paying attention, except my immediate family, and my coach, and my teammates, so I got to enjoy it with them, but then, you know, the media that comes in the Olympic year is just uh, something that was a bit different to me, and uh, at first, I really enjoyed it because it's just kind of like, yeah, I've earned this. And then it just became a bit overwhelming. So this time around, I'll I'll know how to deal with it if I if I am selected to the team. And I, I just think I'll be able to soak it all in a bit better. It's eight months out, and I'm thinking about it now. I know what I want to accomplish. So I'm just really, really looking to go to Brazil and just feel good about the race that I have and just be ready to do it the best I can. Well, that must have been one heck of a national race back then. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think Nate was just coming back from an injury. Uh, that might have been the one that he qualified uh, for the Olympics at, at nationals that year. Uh, I think uh, Kevin Sullivan was kind of near the end of his career there. Uh, you know, what What was the 1500 field like back then? That year... That was the best it's been in a while. I mean, last year it got pretty hot again. Um, but that year it was just kind of, I ran my 336 and I was like pumped. I'm like, I'm going to the Olympics. I just got to come top four. And then I looked at the results and Brennan still needed a time, but Sullivan had a time. And then in that same race in Harry Jones, Kurt Benninger ran a 338. So he wasn't far off. And then two guys, um, Jeff Martinson and uh, ah, there was a there was a sixth guy I can't remember his name. Uh, Ryan Hayden was coaching him. Graham Wells, I think his name is. I think I just got it. Graham Wells. I looked and they had just ran three thirty nines, so they had a similar race to me. I was just a bit quicker, but they made huge breakthroughs. So I'm like, oh no, nationals is not going to be a walk in the park. Mm-hmm. Um, but as it kind of was. Approaching, I don't know where the buzz came from, but like, was it TNF North back in the day? Do you remember that site? Oh, I think that it was a little be a before message. my time. It's, 
Yeah, it used to be a message board. I think. Um, but on there, because Nate Brennan needed the time still to qualify for Beijing, and I think a running store out of Victoria offered people money to rabbit if they made it into the finals and stuff. And uh, there was just a buzz going around that Nate was going to try to get the standard at nationals. And uh, so for me, that actually alleviated some of my nervousness because I knew they had a plan. Um, I knew him and Kurt Benninger were going to go and try to make the race happen. So I know it's hard to lead an entire race and hold on. So um, I like to get up and lead, but I knew that those guys had to make it happen. So I just sat back. Um, my ideal race was the gun went off. Those two guys went and Kevin Sullivan went third and I tucked on his shoulder. Turns out he had the same plan and he was more cagey and uh, knew how to race a bit better. So he mm-hmm. tucked on my shoulder. Um, but true to form, the, the race went out and then they were trying to hit a pace and with 400 to go, I saw Kurt's body language, and I knew he didn't have a lot left. So I took the lead with 400 to go, and then with 200 to go, Nate came back by because he just had to get the time. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, they said that was the deadline, so he needed to make it happen that day. And he went with 200 to go, and it was just one of those races. I just I was in control the whole time, and I, I saw his move, and I, I knew if that was – what he had left then with a hundred to go, I was going to pass him back. And, um, sure enough, with about a hundred to go, I looked over my shoulder just to see where Sullivan was. And I could read by his body language that he wasn't coming back. And then I looked one more behind him and it was my, my teammate, Kyle Borzma. Hmm. So I knew at that point he wasn't going to come and chase me down to, to knock me out of the Olympics. So at that point I knew I was making the Olympics and then it was just a matter of if I could win the race and Nate had led a good, like a good 600 meters of it. And I just went by him, um, and got to celebrate for like the last 50. Um, and it just was all kind of soaking in. Um, and I, just because the way it was set up, Nate needed a time. I actually hit the championship record, I think 338 mm-hmm. something, um, mm-hmm. which at the time was my second fastest time. And I felt great doing it. So it was a great, great day. You know what? It's kind of interesting, though. Uh, you know, according to the to the mercy tables, which uh, you know aren't exactly the the most accurate things in the world, I, I realize. But your steeple PB is actually faster than your fifteen hundred time once you do all the conversions. You know, a few years removed uh, from your decision to move up, uh, what would you say your race of choice is at this point? I mean, I yeah, I'm a steepler now. I mean, I love the fifteen hundred, and anytime I get to come down and do it. Um, I uh, I enjoy it, and uh, I honestly, to this day, believe 336 wasn't my best. Um, but it's just it's tough to get into the fast 1500s, and part of the 1500s is just opportunity. And I was just hitting my head against the wall, just trying to find that race. So um, I think I could have went quicker had I gotten a better race, but it just wasn't happening. And if I'm honest with myself. I think maybe somewhere in there, there was a 334, um, but maybe getting in the final was a 334, but I, I've i experienced the top end speed of some of those guys, and I, I've watched number and number of track races and stuff, and even if I had ever gotten the final, I just don't think I had that high, high end speed to be 
a metal thread or a top five thread. Um, so yeah, I came to that realization in 2012 and I really wanted to, um, do an event that I thought I could do at the highest level. And, uh, I think I'm getting there. Um, um, the Mercier tables, yeah, I think it speaks a bit to, like I said, the depth of the steeple. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get really high values if you're at the higher end of the, the spectrum of steeple. So um, some of the conversions are ridiculous, though. I think they add almost like 39 seconds to your flat 3K to your steeple, which I, I, I am a steepler now, and I wish this was true, but it's just not. I'm not a 7... I think my... 3k time converts to a 736 or something <laughs> i'm not quite there and i know that so uh those those conversions are generous for steeple steeplers and mm. i can say that on behalf of all steeplers i wish it was true but uh it's not quite true um with that being said um the time if my 816 had held up i think there's a there's a site out there that says who's qualified i would have been ranked 10th going into next year's olympics of mm. all the people qualified. So if you're 10th in the world, yeah, you are a bit better than a 336, 1500 runner, you know? Mm-hmm. So some of it makes sense, some of it doesn't, but um, I definitely think I have a shot at being a much higher level steeplechaser than I was a 1500 meter runner. I have to ask, you know, because you are such a, a true dyed in the wool sort of middle distance guy, uh, and this making headlines a little bit earlier. What's your take on the whole NCAA switching their outdoor fifteen hundred to the mile? It's very American of them. <laughs> um, they like the mile. I, I'm all right with it. I just think I think the NCAA is a really really good system for developing people, and I think they're gonna. I think they're going to hurt their 1500 runners a bit because the mile is that slight difference. Um, when you make a move in a mile, it's slightly different than the 1500. Um, and a lot of those 1500 guys develop their chops in the NCAA, like Centro. I remember him cutting his throat when he won NCAAs and stuff. Um, he he learned to be a good 1500 meter runner racing against other high end um, university kids um, before he moved on to the world stage. So I just think it might slow their development in the 1500 by a year or two when they make it to that international stage um from a fan standpoint for speaking strictly americans i think mm-hmm. it just uh speaks more to uh the general general population like when you're down in the states first question they ask when you ask if you run is like what do you run for a mile so i think the general population down there if they're trying to get fans and stuff i think might understand the mile a bit more but uh as far as athlete development goes i think they're losing a bit there hmm. you know you roomed together with rob watson back when he was uh in guelph if i'm not mistaken and i'm pretty sure yeah. i remember reading a story on uh the blog to rob uh that one's going back a little bit before the uh the <laughs> rob watson show about you uh racing a drunk on a street in front of a bar who didn't think that you could beat him uh, you know, mind you, that was a few years ago now. Do you still partake in the occasional street race, or or is that something that you leave to the uh, Taylor Milne of the past? Oh, no. If a drunk wants to challenge me, I'll race him. Um, I think I think what happened, I, I don't remember the exact details. We were um, at a pub in, uh, in Guelph, myself, Rob, and I believe Lanny Marchand was there for the weekend. Um, 
and we were just having some drinks and then we're always telling the guy I made it to the Olympics and then the guy didn't believe him and so we were like yeah yeah it's true and then he thought he could beat me in a race and I think Rob was like ah oh, you couldn't beat him you couldn't even beat me <laughs> um and yeah before we knew we were out in the parking lot <laughs> um about to have a 100 meter race um I think we we're going to let Rob race him, but then we were a little worried about Rob's wheels. So just in case, <laughs> I, uh, I I took over just to make sure we got the victory. Um, Rob's a great runner, but not the, not the fastest dude in the world. So wanted to make sure we got the win. Um, it was kind of funny, actually. I just thought I'd get out really hard, and just this guy didn't really know what was going on. So I did. I put down like 20 meters really fast, and I was about... 15 meters ahead of the guy so at that point I just assumed him being drunk and I thought he would just kind of go away so I just kind of like jogged it out and then I looked with about 10 meters to go and he was still trying as hard as he could and he was actually coming back up on me so his friends actually thought he he did pretty well um what they didn't notice is that I was jogging the last 120 meters because I assumed he would give up but to his credit he he went right to the line it was kind of funny Oh, for sure, for sure. Now you know by uh, it's a bit of an extrapolation, but I I don't know. Would you say that Rocky Five was your favorite fight scene? Then that's that's the Rocky one where he, five? yeah, where where he's fighting his his uh, his mentee in the parking lot. No, are you a fan of the Gun. Rocky movies or? Oh yeah, yeah, that was the guy's name, Tommy Gunn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he's fighting his yeah, yeah, that was good. Um, I was trying to. I have trouble not just loving uh. Rocky three though with Drago, I don't know why. And um, and Thunderlips. Oh yeah, that was a good scene. Uh, so the Guelph Mercury published its last paper this past week, and uh, you know while that probably doesn't seem like a big deal to many, especially in the running world, uh, it always seems like they they did a pretty good job of covering what was happen happening with Speed River. I mean, with the absence of the paper, do you think that you guys will still get the the amount of community support uh, Guelph has been known for? Uh, I think now, I think we're okay in that sense with Twitter and Instagram and stuff. And Chris Moulton's always working that for us. Um, so there's a lot more ways to get it out there now. I definitely think they helped us build the base, um, got the word out there. They've always treated us really well and covered our stuff. And I think now there's just just a big knowledge of our sport and stuff in the community and people are aware of our group so now i think people seek it out uh, and i think that is a big credit to the mercury because they definitely helped us build that that fan base um but i think now once we're, now that we're established i think we're going to be all right um, as far as getting the word out there and people knowing what's going on with our group and stuff mm. but yeah it's a, it's sad to see them go it was they've been really good to us Working towards the uh, the Rio Olympics this year, you know, at 34, that's considered to be kind of older for a middle distance runner. Uh, you know, what are the plans after 2016? Uh, yeah, we don't know yet. Um, as of right now, I I see it being my last year. Um, I I don't see me continuing after this year, but you just never know. But um, I'm doing a lot more coaching. Um, with some local road runners and I do some of the strengths for the post collegiate group here with speed river. Um, I mentor under our strength coach, um, who's out in San Diego. So I just kind of oversee it. He delivers the programs and I just oversee it and make sure. And I just learning from him and trying to read a lot and 
bone up my knowledge on that. And then I do the core stuff for the varsity team and I coach three or four university girl aged girls that aren't on the university team. They just run here in town. Mm. So I'm just doing a lot of that. Um, and that's what I enjoy. So I want to stay in the sport in whatever capacity will allow me to pay the bills and eat dinner and whatnot. Um, there's not a ton of um, high-paying jobs in the sport, which I'm okay with. But, uh, yeah, you got to make a living, right? So, I mean, if something goes really special this year and my sponsor wants to keep me on for another year and I want to get carded again, I mean, I, it's possible to do another year, but uh, I'm ready if uh, this is the last year, I'm ready for that. Um, so I'm prepared for that. And uh, I live a pretty um, laid back lifestyle. I don't spend money. Like I don't do a lot. I don't have any like things. So mm. I've managed over the years to just kind of put away and stuff. So I'm not going to have to cross the line in Rio and start sending out resumes the next day. Um, ideally for me, if I could, work with Speed River or the University of Guelph. That's where my heart is kind of at. And uh, if we can find a position there, but uh, I'm definitely not going to have to start hitting the pavement right away. So mm. we'll, we'll kind of let it settle into place. I've always been kind of a believer that things just work themselves out. You know, if you work hard and you're nice to people and stuff, you usually, things usually work out. So at this point, there's there's really no such thing as the indoor steeple, and there probably never will be, uh, you know, with some obvious logistical problems on a 200-meter track. Uh, if you were tasked with coming up with the setup of an indoor steeplechase, uh, you know, how would it look, you know, as far as jumps per lap go and stuff? Huh. Um, that one's... I have talked about this with somebody. I can't really remember. I know they did a woman's one down in the New Balance Games the one year or two years. Uh, yeah, you can't put a water pit in there, I guess, because you'd have to cut a hole in the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'd put a barrier on each straightaway and then just spray people in the face with a hose on each corner. It's not quite jumping in the water, but it'll just distract you a bit, maybe cause you to fall down or something he is taylor milne and uh hopefully we'll be seeing you at the uh, the olympics uh we've i've really been enjoying uh watching your indoor season so far and uh gosh darn if you are going to retire in 2016 uh your last race better be up in kingston and uh i will definitely be buying you a beverage uh after that (laughs) awesome sounds good to me well, that wraps up another edition of the Terminal Mile. Big thanks to Taylor for his time, the uh, Blue Martini in Kingston for not kicking out our table after Taylor may or may not have gotten into a heated discussion with Steve Weiler about a certain collegiate race and a glass may or may not have been broken. And of course, to track you for their ongoing support. You can find the show on Twitter at the Terminal Mile as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Tracky.ca. Thanks a lot for listening. This has been the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. Yeah.